what if we could get an email, as silly as it sounds, from God? What if our church could get a direct message from God Almighty about what's going on in our lives? Oddly enough, that's actually what was taking place for the churches that we're reading about right now in Revelation chapter 2. So the book of Revelation was penned by the apostle John while he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And as John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, the Lord showed John some things, a revelation, if you will, hence the name of the book. It's a vision of some things that John wanted to see and to communicate with the church and with the world. And in that vision, he instructs John to write seven specific letters to seven specific churches. And so in this series, Dear Church, we are looking at each of these letters. And in some of these letters, there are parts that are super encouraging because there were things going really well in some of these churches But there were also some things that were not going well at all. Some things that these churches needed to repent of. As we read and as we study this morning, I realize this doesn't say to the church at downtown church in downtown Mobile. And that might be true. But I would encourage us to to heed this letter nonetheless. We are learning as we study these letters, things that please the heart of God and things that displease the heart of God. And the Bible says that our God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we read God's word and we learn what pleases God and what does not please God in the context of the local church, our ears should perk up. And so with that being said, we are now going to go to the Word of God together. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? We're going to be in Revelation 2, beginning in verse 18, which reads, Into the angel of the church in Theatira write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works. Your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality." Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give you to each of you according to your works. But the rest of you in Theatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not leaned on what some call the deep things of Satan. To you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers 
and who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as, with, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. If John were writing this letter on his own, it, it would have had authority because John wasn't just a random guy in the church. This, John was an apostle, right? And so he was handpicked by Christ himself to be a representative for the church, to help start and keep the church going. But as this letter reminds us, John is, is not really the author of this letter, no, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says as much in verse 18 here. And to the angel of the church in Theatira write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So every week we, we take this book that maybe it sits on your coffee table or maybe it sits in your car. Hopefully, you're opening it throughout the week. But every week, we, we take this book and we open it and we read it and we study it. And it's good for us to be reminded of the authority that this book bears for the church. Amen? Inspired by God. Authoritative, inerrant, without error. And Jesus reminds this church in particular, in this letter, that, hey, this is from me. And what does he say about himself? Who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. He is the son of God. And this son of God looks at his church in a city called Theatira and he offers a compliment there were four positive traits that this church was marked by. In fact, look at verse 19 again. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Okay, so this church actually had a lot going for it. Four things. They had love. Which means that they were probably abiding by those two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there was love in this church. There was also faith. The author of Hebrews gives us a definition for faith, right? Hebrews 11.1. 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So this church didn't just have love. They had this conviction. They had an assurance in the things of God. Not only that, they also had service. So they were gathering together on a weekly basis and they were serving the body of Christ. They were serving the community around them. And not only that, they were also patiently enduring. Uh, we've been learning so far, these letters have been penned to churches that would be in the modern-day Turkey area. And where they were and when they were, there, there was a lot of pressure from the surrounding culture, the lost world, persecution on the church. 
And in the midst of the persecution, the church at Theatira was patiently enduring. So when we read through that, and we think through that, you might be thinking, what on earth could Jesus have against a church like that? There's a lot of good stuff going on. In comes the concern. And there were actually two major concerns that Jesus has with his church there in Theatira in this day. The first one being what we're going to call a misplaced tolerance. A misplaced tolerance. Look at Revelation chapter 2 verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So apparently Jesus is keenly aware that there's a lady in the church at Theatira who had great influence. And Jesus calls this woman a name. He calls her Jezebel. Now, Jesus was not identifying the actual woman's name. Uh, you might recall a time in Jesus' earthly ministry when he walks up to Peter and he looks Peter in the eye. And I'm pretty sure he pointed at Peter when he said this. He said, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't calling Peter Satan. He was saying, hey, what you're doing right now, Peter, it aligns with what Satan wants right now. And so here, Jesus is looking at the church and he's pointing at a woman in the church, a specific woman in the church, who was behaving like a Jezebel. And so the church there would have known this name. It's actually an Old Testament character that we see in the book of 1 Kings. In fact, I think we've got it up on the screen this morning. 1 Kings 16, verse 30 reads, and Ahab, which, by the way, was the king of Israel at the time, the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Okay, so Ahab was a king of the northern kingdom of Israel. So at this point in Israel's history, it was divided into two parts, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. Ahab's the king of the northern part. And Ahab, the king of Israel, did something evil in the sight of the Lord. And it was apparently so evil that it was worse than what any other king of Israel had done prior to him. And the Bible teaches us here that he willfully and really obstinately married a woman named Jezebel. Now, Jesus' issue is not with the name of this woman. Jesus' issue is not with the topic of marriage for King Ahab. No, the issue was who Ahab chose to marry. Uh, Jezebel's father she came from a pagan nation. And Jezebel's father was the king of that pagan nation. And literally her father's name means Baal is alive. And so Baal was a prominent false god in Israel's day. And there were so many people in the surrounding nations that worshipped this false god, Baal. 
And so Ahab does this vile thing. He goes into that pagan nation, marries the king's daughter, marries into this nation that has a disdain for the Lord God Almighty, who does not love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, it's quite the opposite. They worship and love this false God so much so that they're practicing sexual immorality They're uh, eating food offered to idols. They're doing all of these crazy things against, really, the Lord. And so Ahab marries into that family. And eventually, great judgment came on Israel as a result of their Baal worship. You might recall a story in the Old Testament where the prophet Elijah is uh, chosen by God to stand up against the prophets of Baal. And they're on Mount Carmel, and there's this showdown between the prophets of Baal and the prophet of God, Elijah. And God shows up, and he shows out. And God wins, okay? And he reveals, hey, I'm the only God. I'm the one true God. There is no question about who I am and my might and my power. And Jezebel, at that point, wanted to kill Elijah, the prophet of God. So when Jesus is writing this letter to the church at Theatira. And he says, hey, there's, there's a Jezebel in your midst. He wasn't just identifying a name. He was identifying the type of person that he was talking about. This is a person that was in the church body that was leading God's people astray. This is someone who was inflicting great harm and damage. This was someone that was dividing the church. And in fact, she called herself a prophetess, which means, here's what she was saying, God talks to me. In fact, let me tell you what God said. And so she would proceed to share these messages from God. Here's the problem. God didn't say those things. She put God's name on things that God did not say. And she was actively promoting, in the days of Theatira, a a false gospel. And basically what she was saying was, hey, it's okay to worship God. Yeah, Jesus, he was raised up from the dead. Really cool story. By the way, let me tell you about this other false God. She didn't call him a false God. Let me tell you about this other little G God. His name's Apollo. That's who a lot of the people around Theatira were worshiping. And she would say, you know how the city around you does all these sexual acts as an act of worship to Apollo? God's cool with that. You know how the people around you all eat the food offered to these idols? God's cool with that. And so she's spreading this diluted, watered down, and really perverted gospel. You remember the story of when Jesus walked into the temple and he overturned tables? I have a feeling this is kind of what Jesus is feeling as he pins this letter to the church. He's saying this is not okay. You should not be tolerating this. Here's a thought along these lines. The Bible doesn't say what you want it to say or what I want it to say. It says what God wants it to say. This Jezebel was trying to make truth whatever she wanted it to be. And then Jesus steps in and says, no, not on my watch. That's not okay. 
in the early 1800s, Thomas Jefferson uh, took his Bible, and then he had a razor blade. And he proceeds to sit his Bible down on a table, and he takes the razor blade, and he starts physically cutting out chunks of Scripture from his Bible. And here's what he did. He didn't just cut out random texts. He specifically was cutting out anything that identified the supernatural power of Jesus. And so he cut out all of Jesus' miracles. He cut out all of the texts that described the supernatural power of Jesus. But here's the real problem with that. You can cut things out of your Bible, but it doesn't make them any less true at all. I wouldn't say that any of us probably are likely of being guilty of cutting things out of our Bibles. But there probably are things that maybe we've ignored. There probably are truths that we come across and we're like, hmm. I don't know about that one. And maybe we do that because it's a hard command. Maybe we overlook those things in Scripture when we come to them because it requires too much sacrifice. Or maybe we just don't want to. If, if that is us, church, if that is you, hear me. In love, I say repent. Repent. Repent of that mindset of picking and choosing what is true. Repent of the mindset of thinking that you can dictate to God what is true and what is important. No, we just take the word of God and let it say what it says. May we never have a Jezebel heart. Amen, church. So when the church continued to tolerate this Jezebel, Jesus lets them know, hey, look, this isn't okay. So a fair question is, okay, well, what should they have done? So the Apostle Paul one time wrote a letter to a man named Titus, and this is what he told Titus about this topic in Titus chapter 3, verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Okay, so Paul teaches us here that there has got to be accountability and really even discipline in the church. If someone like this Jezebel comes up and crops up in the church and they're leading people astray, what should we do? I believe biblically we should lovingly go to them and let them know, hey, look, this doesn't line up with what the Bible teaches and give them an opportunity to repent. And if they keep doing it, you go to them again. And if they keep doing it, then you know what, church? We need to be very careful. We need to guard biblical truth and biblical doctrine. So this misplaced tolerance led to a form of misunderstood grace. Uh, let's be clear. What did Jesus want here? He wanted the woman to repent. That's what Jesus wanted. Look at this verse, verse 21 I gave her time to repent. Let me read that again. Jesus said, I gave her time. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So this particular woman, and it wasn't the fact that she was a woman, it was the fact of what she was doing. She was refusing 
the grace and the mercy and really the accountability of God. And instead, she's obstinately rebelling against God and going her own way. That's not consistent with a Christ follower, is it? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow Jesus. Not have your own way and do what you want and put Jesus' name on it. Let's look at verses 22 and 23 here. This is Jesus saying how he's going to handle this moving forward. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. You might hear these texts this morning, you might be thinking, whew, that's, that sounds a little harsh, Jesus. What happened to like God is love? What, what happened to grace? Keep in mind, this isn't where Jesus started. Where Jesus started was grace. Where Jesus started was offering mercy and grace and forgiveness. But what did she choose? I refuse. I refuse the invitation, Jesus. Sorry, I like my way better. So Jesus didn't start with the punishment. He didn't start with the discipline. He started with the offer for invitation for repentance. If you're a parent, you know those moments when your kids like stand up to you and kind of bow up to you? You're like, uh-uh. <laughs> As a parent, you're like, no, that's not how it's going to go in our house. Uh, I, I'm the dad. This is mom. We're in charge, right? And I believe Jesus does that in his church because the Bible says he's the head of the church, and we are the body. We follow his lead. He is our Lord. Let's lastly look at the charge. I was recently talking with one of our church members, and they were sharing with me how at one point they and their family lived in a part of the United States where there are very few and very little gospel-preaching, Bible-believing churches. And so for them to be a part of the church at that point, they had to just go to one and kind of grin and bear parts of it that they didn't love. And that's kind of what the church at Theotira was dealing with. I know we're here in Mobile, Alabama, and you probably passed 17 churches coming to downtown church this morning, but that wasn't the case for the church at Theatira. If they wanted to be an active part of Christ's church, this was their option. This was their choice. And so Jesus, looking at this church, he says, look, I know you're not all guilty of this. I know there are some in your midst that have been faithful. And to them, he said this in verse 24, But to the rest of you in Theatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. So Jesus commends the faithful in the church. They didn't bend. They didn't sway. They didn't allow the message of the gospel to get watered down. And to them, Jesus looks at them and says, look, I'm not going to ask any more of you than what you're already doing. Keep it up. 
And then he offers this charge. Look at verse 25. Only hold fast what you have until I come. I want to read that again. In church, may we do this. Only hold fast what you have until I come. As followers of Jesus, we believe that Jesus not only died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, we believe he's coming back. Amen? And we have this. We have biblical truth. We have the gospel of Jesus. And church, may we hold fast to this gospel until he comes. Amen? Here it says, if we are faithful... And if we will conquer with the grace and strength that he provides, then one day, it might sound weird, we get to rule with him. Okay, we get to rule with Jesus. Uh, There's a portion of this letter I feel like we need to hear one more time. Look at verse 23 again, the latter part. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows you better than you know yourself. He searches our minds right now. He searches our hearts. He knows what we're loving, and he knows when we are full of self. May we not have that Jezebel heart being full of self, being consumed with self, being consumed with doing things our way. Here's the truth. Satan is still doing the exact same thing today as he was in the days of of the church of Theatira. Because if you boil it down, here's what Satan was doing. Satan took good things of God and then he gave it a twist. That's often what Satan does. He takes biblical truth and gives it a twist and he perverts it. And so that's why it's so important for us to, as we learned in our study of Jude at the midweek study at Cottage Hill, we've got to contend for the faith. As we've heard God's word this morning, maybe you realize there's some elements of what Theatira was dealing with that maybe are present in your own life. Maybe you haven't guarded yourself biblically. Maybe you haven't guarded your children from the ways of the world around you. Maybe you've allowed the culture around you or maybe specific lost friends to dictate to you what is true, what is right, what God probably thinks rather than allowing the word of God to dictate truth. May we not pick and choose what is true. May we, church, take this book and take it for face value. And may we submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this time. We're going to enter into a time of response. And I would encourage all of us to respond to God's word. Maybe for you, you've been walking with the Lord for some time, but maybe you've just seen a pattern of wanting to do things your own way recently. Maybe there's an unconfessed, unrepentant sin in your heart 
and in your life. Right now, confess that to the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize, you know, I'm not even a Christian. I think I need to get that right. We're going to open up the altar down front. You're welcome to come pray at the altar. I'd be glad to pray with you as well.